Well, good morning from London, and may I wish everyone a happy new year. It's a real delight to kick off the year with a topic that has been of great importance to us for the last four and a half years, and maybe even a bit longer than that, which is Brexit. And we have today uh, discussing Brexit and trade, Leslie Batchelor. Uh, and Leslie's going to be talking about very much uh, the ways of dealing with the paperwork. So this isn't particularly about financial services. This isn't particularly uh, about uh, trade flows. This is very much about the bureaucracy, which might be a, a better way to begin the year than it was perhaps in 2020 for a change. And you'll know me, I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien, and it is my pleasure to be able to introduce so many of these webinars. Uh, and I can only do so because our sponsors allow us to range widely and freely uh, across a whole variety of areas to do with technology, finance and economics. Well, Brexit, of course, has a tremendous amount to do with uh, finance and to do with economics. Uh, what has it got to do with technology? Well, as Leslie, I think, will be explaining, uh, there is a heck of a lot of paperwork. And at the moment, that is probably the level of technology that we're going to be trying to change. Um, as ever, uh, my job is to get out of the way and let you hear from our expert, Leslie. Uh, she'll be spe speaking for about 20 to 25 minutes, and then we've got ample time, about 20 minutes for Q&A, questions and answers. Please do use the GoToWebinar question facility on your screen. If you email me or text me, I will get the question, but not in time to feed it into the conversation because I'm here with you. Uh, so please do use the Q&A facility there. All the questions and answers that uh, we, we address will be sent to Leslie uh, with the email of the person who's asked it so she can get in touch with you or you can get in touch with her directly if you need to. And as ever, the slides are online and the recording will be up in approximately two days. So that's uh, very, very much the background to it. Um, just a word of uh, about our speaker. Um, it's just a delight. Uh, Leslie, as you'll have gathered from the deep biography that you were sent in the invitation and when you registered, has a fantastic background, particularly with the Institute of Export. But she's also a fellow world trader uh, as a member of the Worshipful Company of World Traders. And so really knows what she's talking about today. And I, I guess, Leslie, with that, if you don't mind, I'd like to hand the floor over to you. Yes, lovely. Thank you very much indeed. And uh, and welcome. I suppose we're all feeling a bit a bit sleepy and a bit tired from last year. And with new hope that we were going to have a better year, it seems like it hasn't been quite the start we really wanted, but there we go. Uh, what we did get, oh, can I? Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, what I did do is um, I've been able to work on several committees talking about international trade, one of which is the all-party parliamentary group and one, of, and one of which is the ICC's United Kingdom digital trade platform, which is going through as well. So what I've been doing is looking at this new agreement, looking at the, the trade and cooperation agreement, which is what this is all about. And I've picked out a few things that we really need to think about. Uh, as far as uh, Brexit and the EU transition ending, uh, we've got to think about all the paperwork. And what I thought we'd do is we'd have a quick look at where we are today um, and look at the, uh, the actual agreement and, and absolute top level stuff because it's a lot of pages, 1,246 to be precise. Uh, then I wanted to single out the rules of origin and how those operate. And then finally, I just wanted to really challenge you all to start thinking about how the governance and the paperwork issues are really going to impact because it's not just the rules of origin. It's not just getting through barriers. Anyway, let's get on to the next slide, shall we? 
So where are we today? Well, today we have the Irish border reporting that only a thousand lorries went through instead of 6,500, uh, which is quite surprising in one day. That means that they're not coping with the, the they're not having to worry about too much in the way of uh, um, traffic. But it also raises the issue that one in five of those didn't have the right, pay, uh, only had the right paperwork. And one in five means that people aren't taking this seriously and not understanding the implications of what's going on. So we're also going to have a quick talk about the border operating model for 2025, which I think probably needs to be brought forward a little bit faster as well. So let's move on to the next slide. And the next slide is, is really just a quick outline of where where the influences lie and to remind you that you know WTO has always been the overshadowing the umbrella that looks after all of these trade agreements and you know down to the customs union the EU reports into WTO as well it's all governed by WTO lots and lots of great things just wanted to point out the comprehensive and progressive trans-pacific partnership um, has actually already stated that as they stand they want to work for five years before they start inviting any new members so it's worth bearing that in mind when we keep hearing that we're going to join it because they're they're not interested at the moment and have publicly stated that but of course there are lots and lots of other ones we can join next slide please so the UK is negotiating. So far, we've got uh, what we call continuity agreements. So there's a lot of confusion sometimes around what a free trade agreement is. We have free trade agreements that actually are in place for a good number of years. Our continuity agreements at the moment that we have in place, 62 of them, uh, really just cover us over for two years. And some of them started last year uh, with a plan for the, the January start date. So it's worth noticing that we haven't got arrangements with if we go on to the next slide the next slide talks about exactly where where the, the EU, eu is and the eu has the most phenomenal reach as you can imagine it's going to take us a very long time to get anywhere close to this sort of coverage and we need to really devote a lot more time within government to this uh, and we need to train up a lot more experts than we have at the moment. We seem to be relying very heavily on Australia to train them up at the moment. So it's really worth thinking about the, the sheer scale of what we're trying to achieve here. Uh, if we go on to the next slide, Michael. So basically what I wanted to do here is talk about sort of the impact of raw materials, the impact of what's going on and how we can get started. You know, the tariffs in the UK, we have our new global UK tariff system. We have quotas and sanctions that we will be faced with, the rules of origin and how they operate. And then, of course, we just a really quick nod to the fact we've then, on top of all of that, got to think about how uh, we look at new markets. One of the things we did at Export Boot Camps was we looked at what people knew and what people needed to know. And we realized, to be quite honest, that the uh, we we realized that people needed to have quick information, a quick source of almost like a checklist type approach, a template to go into a new market. And that's what we've tried to do. So really, that's uh, where we need to think uh, in the future as to how we move forward. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, right. Um, I think we may. There we go. 
Uh, we may have missed a slide, actually. Sorry. <laughs> so when we're importing, no, no, that's fine. Uh, when we're importing raw materials, I just wanted to point out that we're losing the CE marking uh, campaign. Um, that means that we now have something called UKCA, which is a conformity assessment for British products, and it's all going to come into play really end of next year and end of this year. Um, I forgot we've gone into a new one. Important things to notice, of course, that the Northern Irish businesses are going to, have to be able to carry on in a slightly different way all the time because they have a foot in both camps. But the C UKCA marking is going to be uh, a new burden on British businesses. Uh, can we move to the next one, please? Okay, so, uh, and I wanted to point out here that what the HMRC have done have actually provided UK businesses with a lot of help in that there are what they call easements. And these easements mean that, you know, we have uh, grace periods, as it were, to the end of the month. So we have, as far as the traders are concerned, they can delay submitting their customs declarations until until uh, six months in. So that means everything is going to be required by July 1st. So that really does help. Obviously, it doesn't help businesses when they're trying to get things across borders because they still do have to complete the basic information. And this seems to be one of the problems that businesses are having. They're not quite sure what the basic information is. And in fairness to them, they only got the detail of the deal through really the very last moment. The government have updated their website and it really, really is worth your while. Keep on going back to the gov.uk website. They have a, a whole section on there about the transition and about all the issues that you may be facing there. So it's very, very worth your while doing that. Of course, we still have the safety issues around goods that are controlled in any way. These are defense goods or possibly uh, pharmaceuticals, chemicals that might be considered to be what we call dual use. So there are security issues and safety issues around all of this too. So, you know, although some of them can be deferred, most of them will, uh, those security issues will have to be actually addressed now. We can't wait that long to know whether we've got something dangerous that's being that's traveling. And then, as I mentioned earlier, something about the rules of origin. So the rules of origin declarations can wait until the end of uh, the end of the year. So again, this gives us all what we the HMRC are calling easements. So we'll move on to the next slide, please. So transport between the UK and the EU, of course, that's also uh, changed. It also means that we are in circumstance where we have um, where we have uh, some continuation of agreements, but in actual fact, aviation is probably the worst hit because they're not allowed to use stop-offs. They have to just go to the EU or set up in the EU. And I think this is pushing a lot of businesses into setting up subsidiary offices in those countries. Uh, we'll go on to the next slide because there's lots of information on there. I, I just want you to have that information to be flagged up about it. The other interesting thing is, of course, uh, if we find that there are any unfair trade practices, uh, replacing the 73 MEPs that were elected, we now have 30 councils which will be managing the governments and the act of uh, act as a, an interface between the EU and the UK me mechanisms. 
Um, there is some very interesting talk around the type of retaliation that can happen and industries can actually ask for uh, tariffs to be placed on goods or quotas to be placed on goods and it can be uh, discussed at these different councils. It's going to be a very interesting way of doing things so uh, we'll have to look out for it and again it's worth staying on top of the uh, gov.uk website for that but also for the uh, staying on top of the uh, OJs, these are the official journals that come out from the, from the different governments. So let's move on from that because I'm just let's flagging. Just, just mm. before we go, could you just explain ADD and CVD, please? Yeah, well, ADD. The, this is about the advanced um, uh, uh, the advanced uh, delivery systems and also the um, systems around the vehicle deliveries as well so it's really just a question of any unfair practices that come through from that as well um, i can send you some more details on that uh, there as you can see there are a lot of issues around the um, uh, wto and the farming subsidies as well so here's a summary sheet that we provide, prepared which i think really shows everybody exactly where we've got to I think it's a great it's a great shame that all of this has uh, happened in quite the way it has. But you know, uh, you can see that we've got the you know things that the member states can do, things that we can't do any longer. But I think it'll be useful for you to be able to have a look at that at your leisure. Again, very happy to answer some questions on that if that's applicable. Um, can we move on to the next slide? So some more of the changes that are going on, apart from the fact that we're now looking at replicating the rest of the world paperwork um, and going from 50 million transactions, that's import-export transactions a year, to just under 300 million transactions. And this is the sheer volume of paperwork. And that is before we had uh, additional checks on British goods, because now we're checking goods in the UK and we're checking goods in the country of arrival or departure, where, however that works. We've now got issues around VAT, whereas before we had a joint VAT uh, recognition system, we no longer have that. We need to look at how that works. And that impacts on businesses if they're delivering delivered duty paid it, um, or any of the INCO terms that, that are being used. You have to be able to, if you're actually even thinking about delivering duty paid into a European country, you have to be registered as an entity in that country. So, again, it's forcing businesses to actually set up subsidiaries very much so in the in the uh, EU. Uh, food and uh, exports will have to have health certificates. We're also finding that there aren't enough vets at the ports to be able to look after all the additional uh, health certificates, uh, sanitary and cytosanitary uh, border checks, which is all on food. So obviously the vets are off for the live animals that are going across. Again, that's just some of the changes that I'm trying to explain within this uh, presentation. Um, can we move on to the next slide? So with the new trade agreement, we do have zero tariffs, and this is absolutely brilliant news. Uh, but we have zero tariffs as long as we actually make sure that the rules of origin are met. Uh, the traders can self-certify the rules of or the origin of the goods, and that's a really great idea because that saves you having to go to the chambers of commerce to have them certified. So that's a, a cost saving and also a, a benefit. 
Uh, and there's something called full accumulation. Uh, and I've got an example of that to explain to you how that works, because when we're bringing raw materials into the country, if we actually process them to a sufficient amount or we actually make them part of another product that's from this country, uh, effectively, it becomes a UK origin uh, product. It's quite complicated, but again, this is why I'm talking about the need for some more paperwork and some new ways of doing things. We have mutual recognition of various things. Trusted trader is something you probably all heard a lot about. Uh, that doesn't exist at the moment, but we do have something called authorised economic operators. And I think the rest of this is all quite uh, easy to move on from. So shall we move on to the next slide from there? So the main points of a zero tariff are literally that uh, you have to have uh, you have to understand the rules of origin. Now every trade agreement has slightly different rules of origin. I did a project out in Mauritius, and it turned out they were party to seven different trade agreements, and each one of them had slightly different rules of origin. And it's something that our businesses haven't really uh, focused on, uh, and if they have been, they've been working with. Uh, larger larger companies and they find that easier to do and understand whether or not they're actually going to take advantage of the free trade agreements some companies decide not to take advantage of the free trade agreements and that's worth mentioning uh, because because of the paperwork so that's a, an issue so in particular we've got to think about the rules of origin and how they apply to the goods we've got to think about uh, our imports and how they're subject to um uh, um, customs formalities in this country and then we've got to think about the different standards that are going to happen and the regulatory checks. So we move on to the next slide. We can think about, the, this is talking about the legal side of things again, but unfortunately every time you have a law you have a load of, a raft of paperwork that supports that law. So it's worth just noticing that, you know, we also have this issue where uh, Northern Ireland uh, Protocol actually is also a group, you know, part and parcel of this trade and cooperation agreement. It's a little bit muddled at the moment and it will start to get there. And interestingly, although the European Court of Justice is not allowed to get involved with any any part of the UK, uh, it does actually get involved with the Northern Irish Protocol. And it also gets involved with something called Horizon, which is a big scientific project that's about £80 billion worth of uh, money in funding for research projects. Um, I think the rest of this, the pre-lodgement issue, I think we'll cover off in the next slide. So here we have the new systems that the government has had to put in place. And you have to remember that actually, to a certain extent, the uh, EU has had to put in place quite a few new pro projects as well. Uh, first of all, obviously, they have the Trader Support Service, which is there as a free of charge service for the, um, uh, the Northern Irish manufacturers and shippers. Uh, we've got the Goods Vehicle Movements Service, we've got the Trans Transitional Simplified Procedure, which if anybody thinks they're using that, it's been withdrawn and you, you need to rethink your systems. And then we've got the new computerized transit systems. And then there's a little plug for my, my new business, which is called openborders.direct. It's a great website to help businesses understand a lot of these different processes. But again, I'm just trying to emphasize how much in the way of, of uh, paperwork we're generating at the moment. Next slide, please. 
So again, we've got sanctions, and sanctions are something that are imposed on different businesses. This is a detailed slide, but basically it's saying that the Security and Defence Corporation is not covered by, under this agreement. So, um, you know, actually sanctions still exist the way we used them before. Perhaps we can move on to the next slide. Uh, again, this is just to say that if you are operating in any of these areas, if you click on any one of those um, uh, um, links, they will take you to directly to the right site and the right information about your product. But happy to take questions on details uh, uh, away from this presentation. Next slide. So this is what would have happened if we hadn't got the, the deal. And I think it's worth just noting, you know, dairy, beef, poultry, you know, tariffs of 50% and over under the World Trade Organization. Fish would have been 25%, cars 10%. So this is why we are very, very grateful that they actually managed to get a deal in the end. And British manufacturers, believe me, are very, very happy about this a deal. Uh, next slide. So under this, we have these different ways of looking at uh, uh, the tariffs, and this sh just literally shows you that you can have goods that are originated wholly uh, from one country, they call it a party, and that's the UK. Then you can have goods that are originating from another party that with materials from the first party. And then the third one is something called uh, accumulation, uh, which is what we're going to talk about just briefly. So the next slide uh, is uh, hopefully showing us, oh, we'll go on to the next slide from there, sorry. Uh, there we go, yeah, there we go. And this is just an example of how uh, accumulation operates. If you're bringing in <coughs> tomatoes from Italy, for example, you could actually chop them and take them from being raw tomatoes to being uh, canned tomatoes or chopped tomatoes, which means that it's actually changed its use and changes its tariff code. This is a really important issue, especially if you're working as a lot of our British businesses do in supply chains, or they're, they're bringing in goods from different countries and manufacturing with them. So this is a really important uh, thing that we've managed to negotiate for British businesses. Next slide. Again, proof of origin, I mentioned this earlier, we can certify ourselves, so this is a good thing. So we'll move on from that one as well. And then finally, I just want to spend a few minutes just talking about how on earth we're going to manage all this paperwork, because effectively this is really what I wanted us all to discuss today, is how are we going to manage this? So the next slide, uh, looking at these rules of origin and the details and the, the sheer volume, uh, and I didn't do the the whole detail of rules of origin, I just did a whistle-stop tour through how, how all this works. So businesses are going to have to start thinking about collecting information so when they buy something from another country, they have to store that information, not just in their accounting system, but they have to store it in a system that is going to be able to produce evidence for HMRC of the proof of origin of any of their goods. Now, this is something that, yes, they've got some leeway to do this, and we've got a year to make sure that our businesses get this right. But, you know, it isn't just that. We're, we also have to remember that intellectual property is something that we don't really understand properly. And the bigger companies are great at doing this, but the smaller businesses aren't very good at evidencing 
where their ideas come from or proving that they actually own their ideas. They don't know whether they own their, their websites or whether they own the uh, brochures that they're working with. So these are really important uh, issues that we're beginning to face because as this paperwork and the need for different agencies to have all this, uh, it begins to be very, very clear to me that actually we're facing huge pressures on, on businesses they're looking to their accountants and we've already seen that the accountants processes aren't really working for us properly because the audits that they're doing invariably, unfortunately, are not really sufficient to actually tell us as investors that actually this company really is a going concern. We've seen Korean, we've seen all these different things happening. So really this whole point of leading towards more and more agencies, more and more paperwork, more bureaucracy. At one stage, we've got to realize that we've got to change the way we're doing this. Um, I'm working with the ICC at the moment, and they are doing some brilliant work with the government as we're actually unraveling some of the legal processes. So for instance, if you have a letter of credit, you know, that's um, enacted by an act of parliament. You know, the Bills of Exchange Act, we've got a lot of different things that we need to unravel before we can actually start to digitize properly. Uh, and I think, you know, we need to all take some interest in this. It's not just a shipper's point of view or a freight forwarder's point of view or a manufacturer's point of view. I think we need our government to start thinking about how we're going to digitize this and actually share data. I think the next slide um, starts to talk about this because we're using a, a, a continuing thing because the accountants tell us we have to cut off at the year end. But actually, I don't think the information that we're storing is year end necessarily. I think sometimes they bridge years and you've got to start keeping more and more data and information. So finally, I think I've got another slide there that basically starts to talk about things I really don't know enough about, but I really want to know more about. You know, are smart ledgers going to be the answer to this? You know, businesses have been promised, you know, less bureaucracy and now faced with, obviously, from what I think I've, I hope I've explained, shed loads more. And, you know, how can we encourage the government of, of the day to investigate the need for a really radical rethink? Uh, and with that, I think I'm going to throw it open to questions. Well, that's great, Leslie. In fact, there are quite a few questions out there oh, uh, and okay. comments. Um, the very <laughs> first one, actually, just uh really a minor point of detail. Uh, Chiara Stici is curious, could you uh, just share the source of that slide you had illustrating the extent of trade in the EU, the colored one, if you remember. The oh, that was, uh, I mean, that was from the EU Commission uh, and it was based, that was an old slide, it was 2017. I'm quite happy to share it with you um, because it does have a lot more detail on that. Uh, but yes, I'm not quite sure whether um, it, it's, you know, I'm sure there's an updated one. Okay. Um, I'm fine. Uh, following on with that, uh, Peter Cousins is asking, are, are, are we focusing a bit too much on free trade agreements, FTAs? Uh, and he says, when I ran a pharmaceutical export department 25 years ago, it was easy to recruit shipping clerks who knew how to get products into countries with whom we had no trade agreements at all. Uh, but given the reaction of many in the industry, I suspect this is no longer the case. Is there a skills gap? And if so, is it being addressed? Well, that's a great question. Um, yes, there's a huge skills gap. And I can say from my time of being at the Institute of Export that I have met 10 trade ministers. 
And each trade minister I sat down with and explained the need to professionalize the industry and to actually uh, train people and get them to understand it. And it's only been this last year or so, there's just been a mad rush to, to try and get that going. So yes, to start off with. Um, secondly, there, there were a lot of free trade agreements around. Uh, we, you know, operating with them, it's not, it's not necessary. You don't, it's not mandatory for a business to use a trade agreement. So, you know, uh, it, it's whether or not it suits them and it's profitable for them to use it, because if the, the difference between two and three percent uh, on a duty is, is just not enough. So you really need to look into whether or not it's worthwhile doing. I'm happy to talk more offline on that. Uh, pursuing that a little bit further uh, from a different angle, uh, we've got a chap here from Double Wing asking, could you expand on your comments on specific facilitation agreements, uh, sorry, arrangements for organics and pharmaceuticals? I could, but I think that would be very tedious for everybody. But there are a lot of things going on. Um, there are links to those. Happy to take that offline. But I, I think that would start to get a little okay, bit tedious. Will, no, as I mentioned no, earlier, everybody, I will be feeding your uh, emails with any specific questions directly to Leslie afterward, and she she will get back to you directly. Um, following on that, though, another sort of more open question from the same same fellow. What are the implications of the agreement on data transfers, for example, clinical data between the EU and the UK? Well, data has been treated separately to the trade and cooperation agreement. So there isn't a huge amount coming out as yet on that. But there is. If, if Have you seen the, the trade um, and co if you I'll send everyone a link to the to the actual agreement and you can start looking at it from there but the data sharing element is a very important element and I'm sorry I'm not an expert on that but I am aware that we there's a separate agreement going on alongside that okay um, Leslie uh, Bob McDowell's curious you pointed out the uh, the huge amount of increased paperwork uh, and bureaucracy on businesses but what additional resources and funding will HMRC, for example, receive for its additional duties? Well, HMRC have been uh, uh, supported with this. I think this sort of almost ties into the, the issue that, um, the, that was being spoken about with the skills gap. Um, so everyone's looking for experienced customs people, but nobody's looking at saying, would you like to come along and learn how to be a customs person, you know, and we've got to get more apprentices in this space. Uh, but of course, you know, at the moment, if you're a customs uh, um, broker or someone who understands customs compliance, you know, you are really, I mean, I've seen the salaries double in the last in the last year. So very, very important point, Matt. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a strange space we're in at the moment. But HMRC are being supported. I don't think that, with that greatest respect to government, that they've understood the issues in quite the same way. Uh, the border operating model has uh, shown me many times. I'm doing a project at the moment looking at that. And just very basic things, they haven't quite understood the, the flow. So let's hope we can get that. Uh, across quickly. Okay. Good question. Uh, there's a question you opened, Leslie, uh, pointing out the uh, the huge amount of reduction uh, crossings on the Northern Irish uh, and Ireland border. Um, is that typical for this time of year? Is that genuinely a, a yeah. uh, an enormous reduction? It, well, I think genuinely a lot of businesses have been uh, stockpiling. 
I think everyone has been very nervous about this, and I think everyone was very uh, nervous from the the, sh the the close down that the the French did, uh, and I think it made everybody nervous. I think we're going to start seeing this build up again in February, and I think February is going to be the the the, uh, the the bottleneck again, where we start to see and really understand whether our systems are working. So in a strange way, we're sort of almost getting an, an extra month of uh, planning and uh, implementation. Uh, Bob is also curious uh, on the EU side. Um, what what uh, appears to be the support to this horrendous multiplicity of paperwork and procedures and idiocracies he called them? <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, yeah. is the EU equally gearing up, or is it basically saying? Yeah, been brilliant. I mean, they have been, uh, but they've been planning. They've been planning in a slightly different way because they 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 really weren't sure what was going on. And I, I don't know whether you're aware, but you know the French had their their goods movement service up and running. Well, they had it up and running and tested by the summer last year. Uh, we only just went live just before Christmas. So you know it. You know we seem to be on a catch up all the time, um, and it's a it's a disappointment. But you know they they seem okay. I mean, obviously there are some business at businesses in Europe that are just as confused and just as muddled, uh, you know, that, but they have had a very extensive campaign uh, across Europe as well. And they have a little, I can't remember the name of it, they have a little image that's a little blue blobby furry thing that actually represents Brexit. <laughs> it is almost like a COVID style thing, only in blue and furry, and it's got legs. Mr. Blobby again. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, Robert Keller uh, says, Leslie, a great presentation and much food for thought. Uh, do you have a feel for the cost estimates uh, on creating these customs documentations that businesses now face, uh, perhaps on a per transaction basis or any other way of getting a handle on the cost? Yeah, well, HMRC started off saying that it was £32.50. Uh, if you went to a freight forwarder, Two or three years ago, it would be about £50 per, per consignment. Uh, but then you also have to remember that that's just their costs. It's not the cost for the manufacturer themselves. Um, and I would suggest now that we're looking at a lot higher costs because people have had to bring in new systems. They'll be amortizing the cost of the software and the and the new uh, hardware that they've been brought in. Uh, I, I would say we're, we're talking much more in the lines of perhaps £150 per transaction. Very difficult. If you, it depends on industries, obviously. Some industries won't be affected as badly as others. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I remember doing a study like this uh, two years ago myself, where we were trying to estimate the cost per transaction, and yeah, it came out more like a couple of hundred dollars. But of course, one of the other issues there is it's not like that. It's a it's a huge range, and so some businesses will find this very straightforward, and others are going to find that there's a tremendous amount of customization for each consignment, which yeah. uh, increases bureaucracy. So yeah, averages are often concealing more than they reveal, as we often say. Uh, and I think. So the, the interesting thing and why the government doesn't really get involved is because it's like a slither from everybody's profit. 
it's not it's not one organization that's taking the hit it's it's a little bit from the banking area it's a little bit from freight it's a little bit from the manufacturers it's it just goes on like that uh, and unless somebody can really take control of this and lead us out of it which i know is something the icc uk are trying really hard to encourage unless somebody takes you know control of it that's where we'll be Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you, your closing slide there on using things like these uh, shared smart ledgers or time stamping engines, you know, great idea, but it does require leadership to move yeah. to any type of common utility or infrastructure, doesn't yeah. it? Very Where do you see signs of that coming from? A uh, couple of people here curious about that. Again? Where do you see signs of that type of leadership emerging? Well, I see it from the International Chamber of Commerce, uh, not just here in the UK, because, it, you know, it's not just the UK. I mean, obviously, we've had this heightened, but this has been an issue because we want more trade with Africa and we need to try and help the Africans to get to the certain same level of, um, as, of communication that we're at. Uh, the African uh, nations are, are really, really great on mobile technologies, uh, and we need to catch up with them on some of those as well. So it's about leveling the playing field, as everyone keeps saying. Um, but also, we're hoping that WTO will come through. Uh, now they've got the new um, DG starting any minute. Um, I'm really hopeful, not just because she's a woman, but also because, uh, uh, and obviously she'll get to do it well, uh, but because, you know, we need that leadership and we need clarity. Hmm. Um, Ed, uh, Ed, Ed Grant is curious, Leslie, what are the top two or three opportunities you see and would promote to this audience from the new economic trading model post-EU? Um, well, uh, that's a really great question. I'm not quite sure yet. Um, obviously, we... I think as a nation, we should be thinking more in terms of working with uh, Africa as a continent. There are 54 countries there that's, uh, and they're growing and they're, they're vibrant and they need some help. So I would suggest probably focusing a little bit more on Africa. Um, we need to help them sometimes with the politics, but invariably they are at least trying to be democracies. I think that's a good thing. South America, we never seem to do enough work with South America because we're nervous of languages. But I think probably that's the next thing, too. As a country, we need to start learning languages again. I couldn't agree with that more. And Leslie, you're running a, a um, an export boot camp, as you call it, right? Yes. And uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what that entails? Like uh, how long does it take? What, yes. what people need to do? Yeah, thank you for that. So, so what we're doing is we're taking, you know, lead, you know, owner managers, people that really have decisions to be made made on this, and we're giving them the context in which international trade works. We're giving them information about where to find trade flows and understand how trade flows work. We're giving them information about which tariffs they may face in another country because we. You know, historically, if we just work with the EU, we haven't had to worry about any of these things. So basically using business modeling to try and internationalize their business in two days, they leave with a strategy. They know exactly what they can do. And hopefully it's such an easy type of strategy that they can implement it without feeling it's a burden. A um, couple more questions, if we might, and then I'll, I'll try and pull this to a close in time. But uh, one was you touched on conformity assessment and the changes there. 
Could you just give a little bit more context to that? Well, um, because we're, we, we are pulling out of all the regulatory uh, um, systems, uh, we, we were part of the CE marking program, which is about conformity and talks about you know how things are packed and, and what's uh, what's involved. Um, we now uh, have got our UK uh, control um, uh, uh, conformity assessment, sorry, uh, and that is going through the British Standards Institute. So it's really worth probably looking on their website for more detail. I don't know specifics for industries, but we can do that. And there are also some great businesses out there that actually specialize just on making sure we work with a company called Ideas Monkeys that are international that help people with their packaging and their, their marking. And we also work with Ashbury International, which is another uh, but they're UK based organization. Lots of help out there. I think I, if anything you bring from this, although I've moaned about paperwork, there's a huge amount of help out there and you know the gov website is good and they are updating it regularly the only problem is it is updated regularly so you need to keep a, a, an eye on it just on the transition side yeah i, I personally have been uh, tracking that site for many months now because i get the the daily reminders and it, it does change a lot uh, that's the scary bit in some regards it does change yeah. very rapidly yeah, uh, yeah. certainly i mean what we're seeing is we We've uh, had nearly a generation of being within the single market, let alone uh, nearly two generations in the EU. We're beginning to realize the accretion of uh, 30 years of regulations that we've not had to deal with because we've been inside are now descending on us in a, a, all at once, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, now, uh, maybe a nice question to close on here is also from Bob McDowell. Um, after the first few months of settling down and political bluster, Will both sides, in your opinion, settle down to more pragmatic working practices? Um, uh, as far as politicizing, you know, trade is trade, uh, business is business. We, I don't think we really want to get dragged into the politics of it all. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, uh, as soon as everyone stops politicizing business, we'll just get on just the same as we have been all the way through. We're glad for the decisions that have been made. And that's a relief, to be quite honest, uh, because it was getting a little bit scary. But now we've got these decisions. I, I can't see why it should carry on being politicized the way it is. Um, you know, related to that, Philip Leone is asking that, the UK PLC is being characterized as Singapore in the North Sea with lots of free ports and FDI pods. Uh, do you think the EU is going to try and prevent uh, realization of that type of vision in terms of leveling the playing field? OK, um, I think um, uh, I think there are two things there. Free ports, we've always been able to have free ports. In 2012, we closed the last one because we decided as a government that we didn't, they weren't useful to us. Um, but now, of course, we have a new strategy and they're going to be used again in a different way. Um, uh, the, the idea of Singapore on Thames is, is quite, a, I mean, it's an aspiration and uh, I, I'm not quite sure because unfortunately, we haven't seen evidence yet of the strategy that we're going to use to get to that point. Uh, so that will be interesting as that develops. And of course, everyone's been so taken up with with leaving that probably we should have spent a little bit of time talking about what was going to happen once we left. So, so yeah, interesting times. Everything's possible. 
Yeah, I, I myself have often wondered if Freeport is such a big, a uh, great idea. Well, why isn't the entire country a Freeport? What's the Freeports in Europe as well? Uh, I don't think they're the answer to everything, but you know, they're they're part of the solution. Oh, okay. Well, Leslie, it's been a great way to get off uh, uh, to to start for this year. Uh, but just bear with me a second. I've got sort of three rounds of thanks to give. Uh, the first, as ever, is to our sponsors. Thank you so much for allowing us to, to handle all of these subjects. Many of you are involved in import-export as well as the systems and the finance that support them. And we hope that you found this a, a pretty interesting kickoff to the year, even if a, a little bit sort of European parochial. Um, I'd also like to point out to the audience, you've been super today. What a good start as well. I hope it continues like this during the year. Lots of good questions and comments, all of which will be fed to Leslie. Um, we do, in fact, have some others coming up quite soon. Uh, not least on Thursday, where we're going to be looking at those of you who've been uh, sitting at home thinking uh, over the last few weeks of break, perhaps, uh, what's what's my career hold in the future in 2021? Well, we're going to be looking at how you might establish and maintain a portfolio career with Edward Wilde. So that should be quite exciting. But finally, if I may, uh, my real thanks um, have to go very much to you, Leslie. Uh, I'm afraid I, I managed to sneak in. Uh, to the uh, to the EU just before departure, a Korean uh, karmic clapper from my, uh, from my favorite temple in Bulgoksa. Uh, and uh, on behalf of the audience, I may thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, using advanced uh, technology, uh, no CE mark, although I think somewhere on here, yes, uh, somewhere on here, there's actually burnt in the symbol of the temple itself, which is close to a CE mark, I guess. Um, I think that this is a subject that's going to be running and running. Um, yeah. So. We hope to do some updates, but folks, uh, Leslie has provided a wealth of information. The slides are there with the links that she mentioned and anything else that she'd like to post, we will put up on, this, on the same URL there. Uh, please do feel free to get in touch with her directly. But uh, yeah. for that, may I say thanks to one and all uh, and a great start to the new year. And we hope to see you at many webinars uh, in the future. Thank you very much indeed. It's been great fun. Thank you. Good to have you.